Today we're, we're starting a new series uh, called uh, Stranger Beliefs. Um, some of the series we do originate, like if you're wondering where do they come up with these series, well some series originate from, from me just having conversations with other elders and pastors and hey what's going on in the church, you know, you know where, where are people at and what do we need to um, communicate to people and so that happens that way and some of it is just trying to develop a, a healthy diet and other part of it is a uh, healthy spiritual diet, I should say. The other part of it, you know, originates from just a personal time of prayer and reflection. Just me asking God, God, what is there something you'd want to share with people? Well, this series came from binge watching Netflix, and so like this, there's like re- there's some really spiritual ways that series come. This one's not so spiritual. Last fall, I was watching season one of, of Stranger Things, and for those who haven't seen the show, it's about these group of friends from middle school. And the setting is in the small town in Indiana in the 1980s. And in the, and in the very first episode, one of the boys goes missing. And then as the show progresses, the entire town um, thinks that either the boy had run away or perhaps he's dead. But the mom, played by Winona Ryder, is just living proof that everyone deserves a second chance, is that she believes her son is still alive, but somehow is stuck in this weird upside-down world and she's the, basically the only one who believes that. And because of this belief, she looks like a total oddball and is scorned by everyone in town, even her own family. Now, if she's wrong in what she believes, um, which everyone thinks she's wrong, she's a total lunatic and looks like a total lunatic. However, she's right. Her behavior is sane and reasonable. And as I thought about this character, as I'm watching the show, you know, for hours, <laughs> I, I, began to, I began to realize, like, man, this is exactly how Christians are. This is exactly how, as she's trying to explain herself, she's, this is how Christians are. We, uh, we believe things that other people find impossible, if not, you know, difficult, if not impossible to believe. And if we take our, and we, we have this fear, if we take our beliefs too seriously, that not only will people think our beliefs are weird, but they'll begin to think we are weird. Now, for those of us who are Christians, and I realize not everybody here is, but for those of us who are Christians, we feel this pressure, and we don't feel very equipped to explain ourselves. So what I want to do in this series over the next, uh, counting today, five weeks, is I want to help equip us in helping us understand why we believe these things that, for a lot of people, seem really strange and weird. And, And if you're here today, and you're just kind of peeking over the fence to figure out, like, you know, who is Jesus? I'm not quite sure. Maybe some of these beliefs that we're going to take a look at, you've been kind of, you know, I don't know about that. Um, I'm hoping this will help you. And so one of those beliefs that we're going to look at today is creationism. This idea that an intelligent designer is behind all of what we see. And um, there is a well-known atheist by the name of Richard Dawkins who has some pretty harsh words for anybody who would believe Anything other than Darwin's theory of evolution is the cause of the universe. In fact, he's gone on record to say that, uh, that Christians and creationists are stupid. He says, mock them, ridicule them. And as you re- hear these kinds of things, you're like, well, is that right? I mean, is, you know, should I be mocked? Should I be ridiculed? You know, am I stupid for believing this? Well, what I want to do today is I just want to stroll through the, I want to stroll through this creation account. And, and talk a little bit about how this, how we came to being, how the world came to being, what are some of the implications of what the scriptures say, particularly in Genesis 1. 
And my goal today isn't to prove a point. And my goal today certainly isn't to turn the tables and mock another group of people. But I do hope to kind of point to some things and say, hey, maybe, just maybe, this isn't as crazy as some want to make it sound. To deepen our faith in the God of the Bible and to give those who are yet to be convinced something to think about. I have no aspiration to somehow convince anyone today. Uh, a, I'm not smart enough to do that, but, but I just want to tell you what the Bible says and why Christians believe that God created the world. So we're in Genesis 1-1, which, check this out, is on page 1. It says this. It says, In the beginning God. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. I just have two simple points. The first one is that before creation, there was God. Before creation, there was God. In fact, that's a really helpful thing to keep in mind when you read the Bible. That when the Bible starts, it says, in the beginning, God. Um, God is the point of history. God is the point of the Bible. God is the point of life itself. It does not start with you. It does not start with me. It doesn't start with even creation itself. It starts with God. In fact, if you try to read the Bible in, in your life, if you feel discouraged in your life, and someone says, if you just read the Bible, you'll get encouraged, you, you will not get encouraged. Because it, the Bible's point is not to encourage you. The Bible's point is not to tell you how you can be a better you. The Bible's point is to get your, your eyes off yourself and onto God in faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that, paradoxically, he doesn't just make your life better. So he does make your life better, but he makes your life better by transforming you. So it's important to see that before creation there was God and and. This is huge when it comes to how we view creation because God eternally existed before creation. And this is a point where, where believing in a creator God makes a lot more sense than Big Bang because everyone uh, is trying to fill in the question, fill in the blank. You know, what, you know, what made the thing, made the thing, that made the thing? What is, what is behind everything? Everyone believes that there has to be a beginning. Not everyone not, hasn't always believed that. Scientists actually, uh, up until recently... Uh, believed that the earth was eternal, like it just didn't have a beginning and it didn't have an end. Um, and the, virtually all scientists now believe that the, the earth uh, did have a beginning and it will have an end, but where do we come up with that? Uh, in, uh, um, there, there, this is where the believing in a creator God makes a lot more sense because if you're a materialist, which is where atheism goes, if you only believe in the material world that this is all there is, uh, the thing you have to wrestle with is, is the, the law of causality, which states that everything has a cause. Every effect has a cause. Every effect has a cause. So philosophically and logically, for the natural world to exist, something within nature can't create nature, right? I mean, that's a circular argument. That's like me saying, I created myself. I can't create, something outside of me has to create me. So to say that nature created nature is a circuit, it, it's, out, you know, it's like one of those Excel charts that you try to do and it's like air, you can't do it. So it's outside of us. Uh, so what caused the universe? What existed before the universe? Well, the Bible is saying that God, God created, he was there, he created. And that word created, bara, means to create something out of nothing. It's this very forceful word that means to create 
uh, something out of nothing. You can jot this reference down and read it later. Isaiah 44, 24 says that God stretched out the heavens all by himself. He didn't need you. He didn't need me. He didn't ask for help from an angel. He didn't consult no one, but he made it all by himself. It all comes from him. It all exists for him. We are made by him. And Genesis 1, 26, 27 tells us a little bit how. This is how he made us. But God said, let us make man. Us is interesting. We'll get to that in a few weeks. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created him. This is what this means. There are certain things that you and I share with God that actually point to the existence of an immaterial, intelligent, all-powerful being. There are things that we have that we understand and how we get through life that are not material. They are immaterial because we are created in the image of God. Let me give you a few examples. One of those is a conscience, a sense of right and wrong. Atheists have a problem that's been pointed out by uh, some of their best, namely uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, who happens to be my favorite atheist. And the reason why he's my favorite atheist is because he takes atheism to its logical conclusion. Some do, some don't. He does. The atheist problem starts with good news. Once you dispense with God, the good news is you can do whatever you want. Guilt-free, no dread of retribution. If you get away with it on earth, you'll get away with it forever. You get away with it on earth. So that's the good news. The bad news is when you dispense with God, you lose all intellectual basis for declaring anything to be inherently right or wrong. You see, in order to say something is right or wrong, you have to point, no matter, I mean, this could take how people debate for this for hours, but the, the moral story is that for, for you to say something's right or wrong, you have to appeal to a source that is above you and outside of you, whatever you say that source is. And because atheism asserts that the material world is all there is, Things like a conscience and especially a soul are ideas that completely they reject because for them, it's all about pro, prag, uh, pragmatics. So it's what's useful for society. So certain laws like not murdering people, we should have those laws because they are useful. They are beneficial for human flourishing, but they fall short of saying that it is evil. Um, so you can argue that human flourishing is better off if we reject genocide, for example. But the Nazis have a different opinion. Now, you might argue with them that they've not done their calculations right. Meaning, like you could say, no, that doesn't help human flourishing. But the Nazis are going to say, no, we think it does help human flourishing. That is a lot different than saying that the strong targeting the weak for extinction is inherently evil. If human beings are just simply a, a part of this natural order of how the universe works and how the universe works is natural selection, the strong eat the weak, then why do we have something that we call a conscience that speaks from within us that we call evil? Anytime we see one race oppressing another race or even one race extinguishing another race, why do we even care that people die of cancer? I mean, obviously somebody's trying to off some of us. Why don't we just, why do we cry at funerals? God made you in his image. There is an immaterial part of you. There's something inside of you that gives you thought, that gives you process, that's not 
you know, just a part of the natural, you know, that's just kind of the way our brain works. It is a part of your mind. Humans are different than animals and plants because we are created in the image of God. So if there's like, if you look at, if there's a potted plant, a possum, and a baby, you know, you shouldn't have to, in a, in a freeway, you shouldn't have to do rock, paper, scissors to figure out which one you're going to rescue. You know, you don't get on an Excel sheet and say, okay, let's look at the pros and cons of, of, of rescuing the plant. Let's look at the pros. No, you don't do it instinctively. You know something within you. You, you, you know that. You, you have a conscious. You can understand value. Where does that come from? It comes as an image bearer of God. There's some other things besides a conscious, this idea of intentionality or purpose. Where does our need of purpose come from? There's something inside of us that wants purpose, that, that wants to know where things are going and that our lives matter. Look, check out what this one atheist, uh, Bertrand Russell, had to say. He said, man's origin, his growth, his hopes, and his fears, his loves, and his beliefs are but the outcome of an accidental co- uh, collocations of atoms that no fire, no heroism, heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life. Be- Wait, hold on a second. Go back real quick. Life beyond the grave, that all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system, and that the whole temple of man's achievements must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. All these things, aren't you just getting cheered up? Um, all these things, if not quite beyond dispute, are yet so nearly certain that no philosophy which rejects them can hope to stand. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's salvation henceforth be safely built. What is he saying? He's saying, you were made by no one for no purpose. You have no purpose. There is no intentionality. There's no reason why you were made. The Bible says in several places, like Jeremiah, that God has plans for you, plans for good. Ephesians 2.10 says that you've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. You are God's masterpiece. You have been created for a purpose. They say that there is no intentionality. But you know that. You know that you've been, there's something that you've been made for. In fact, even your biology is hardwired for intentionality and purpose. Um, your body produces new cells at staggering rates, millions per second. And they are not just uniquely from a plant. They're not just, your cells are not just made uniquely from a plant cells or, or an animal cells, but actually unique for a human being. And if your body is producing cells that make you you, and it's producing them at the rate of millions per second, how does your body know to make more of you and not more of somebody else? I'm glad you asked. Every single one of your cells, millions of them, have roughly six feet of DNA coiled inside of it. DNA is a map or code that tells your body where, you know, what, you know, how to be made. And if the DNA in your body were to be stretched out from one end to the other, there would be nearly 80 billion miles of instruction. That's a distance from the earth to the sun 800 times. And I was listening to this debate uh, by this, um, between um, 
this one guy and, and an atheist whose name was Roger, and the, and the guy asked, the moderator asked him questions. He said, what would it take for you to believe in God? And he says, well, maybe if, if God was to write in the sky, Roger, I am real, stop whining, then I would believe in God. Because what he was saying is like, if God could just, you know, show me and write to me a message that, that shows his intentionality that he is real, then I would believe him. But God has done one better. He didn't just simply write a seven-word phrase in the sky. He wrote a message in your body 80 billion miles long. Even in the simplest organism, the simplest or an amoeba has enough DNA code in it to fill up a thousand encyclopedias. And all creationists are saying is that it's reasonable to assume that there is an intelligent source behind some of this. It's why when you go to a beach, if you were to go to a beach and you were to see written in the sand, I love Bobby, everybody would assume that somebody who loves Bobby, whoever Bobby is, somebody who loves Bobby wrote that. What you wouldn't assume is that a crab crawled out of the ocean and mistakenly and mysteriously wrote, I love Bobby. If, if, if that was an acceptable answer, there would be nobody who would ever, ever be convicted of a crime. Forensic science depends upon intentionality, and other sciences, science do as well. Nothing in nature goes from chaos to order. We do know that science, the second law of thermodynamics. Nature has never, ever, 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 ever taken a pile of bricks and made a building. Nature has taken a building and made it a pile of bricks, though. Things, nature has a way of distorting things. So, for, so that's one thing. The other thing is uh, this is a way that in, we're made in, in God's image that is not a material idea is that for the atheist, there's no such thing as love and beauty. Those are just made-up concepts in our brain that we have constructed over, you know, how many ever billion years to make survival happen. Let me give you a quote from my least favorite atheist. When you look at certain scenery, you think it is so beautiful because your ancestors believed that there was food out there. And that particular neuro neurological feature that has helped them survive has now come down to you. And that's the reason you see it as beautiful. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you honestly buy that? That, that feeling that you get when you see a sunset uh, or a starry sky, that that's all about finding food? Like... Like, beauty gives you the munchies, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, did you, it's like, hey, dude, did you see the sky last night? Yeah, man, I, like, totally got some Twinkies. All right, man, catch, you know, or do you believe that the love that you feel for your spouse or your kids, I mean, Richard Dawkins says that's just a conditioned response that our genes have programmed to make propagating our DNA faster than our neighbors can propagate theirs. I mean, is that what love is? Let me try putting that on a Hallmark card. Baby, my genes have determined that you are useful for the propagation of my DNA. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. It's just kind of like, whoa, Brian, I mean, easy on that. Making me a little weak in the knees here. But you know that. You know there's something in beauty. 
There's something that God's put into you that's immaterial, that's not of the material universe, that sees beauty for beauty. The, the atheist sees that as mainly being useful and not beautiful. Christians believe that things are good and beautiful because they reflect the image of the creator. So when we see a sunset, our heart cries out for God, not for food. When you stand at the base of, of a mountain, I don't want a snack. I want to kneel. I want to cry out, you know, God, how majestic is your creation. How beautiful is your name in all the earth. Because of this and because of these things that God, and many other things that we can go on and on and on and on about, there are things that God has put inside of you that are immaterial, that, that are like this, this thing that it draws you to himself because our hearts will not find rest until they find our rest in him. Ecclesiastes 3 says it this way. It says he has put eternity in our hearts. He's put something in us that causes us to chase after him. Now, we chase after everything else but him. But that's why, you know, regard, you know when you're younger, you're, it's all about, you know, it's just like you want people to think you're cool and popular. And, and then that kind of bleeds over into making yourself look good and being attractive to the opposite sex. And that gets into uh, making, having a good job and money and your purpose and, and, and your kids and safety and other kinds of things. But all the while, what, what's behind the thing that's behind the thing is like this desire, if I can just get here, I'll be happy. Happiness is just around the corner. The thing is, no matter what that love, so you, we've all said something like, you know, if I can just make 50000 or 100000 or two, whatever the number is, we get to that number of income, that we get to that level of income, and it's wildly disappointing. If we can just have this relationship, we find out that relationship, it didn't feel, it didn't fill that need. C.S. Lewis said this, a baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, well, there's such a thing as sex. If I find my desire, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, well, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. The Bible has an answer why you cannot find ultimate satisfaction in stuff. The Bible has an answer for why every time that you look out and say, that'll make me happy, it's nothing but a mirage. It's because he's put that in our hearts. And there's lots of questions about creation. That who knows if we'll ever firmly have the answer. But here's what we know. This, this was written to us to let us know why God created the world. And who created God the world? That God is the author of life, and he is the sustainer of life. And we can, and as Christians, we can argue about how that happens. And many people have, many people who love God have all different kinds of theories of how that happens. And that's fine, and we can be, we can be charitable with one another in how we discuss these things. The Bible was not written to scientifically prove anything. It wasn't concerned with the questions that we asked. It was written by Moses on the way to land to the land of Canaan to celebrate what who God is and what He's done, to tell it to tell a generation how things began, or excuse me, why they began, and who began them, and it was God. And ultimately, regardless of where you line up, if you you are all if you're 
an evolutionist or you are a, you believe exactly what the Bible says about how the world became. We all believe this by faith. We're all on the same level playing field. I mean, even when you push guys like Dawkins, and they've been pushed on this, because nobody has anything. Nobody, nobody was there. Nobody was there. Nobody knows. We all know that something caused you, but nobody knows for fact. You know, no one has a picture. No one, you know, no one has, you know, no one has that. Dawkins' answer is just: we just need to give science more time. If we give science more time, science will give us the answer. That sounds like a lot like faith to me. That is a belief not rooted in what he knows, but what he doesn't know. This is the same true for Christians. We don't believe in the created world because that's what science tells us. It tells us that we believe that God created the world by faith. Check out what Hebrews 11.3 says. It says, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. And that's what we want to hold on to, that God is the author of life, and he is the sustainer of life. And there's something deep within the human psyche. If we don't cover that over. You see, that, see, the Bible says that we do a sinister thing. In Romans 1, you can read this later, like 18 to 25. I'll, read, I'll kind of quote a few verses from there, paraphrase a few verses from there. It says that, that, that the existence of God has been made plain to all of us in creation. That we do a sinister thing. We take the truth of God and we exchange it for a lie. We, we, we reject that idea. We want to we wanna push it. We've all done that. We've all are atheists in that sense. We've all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all rejected. Our heart does not, our sinful hearts do not want to accept that there's something outside of us who has authority over us. And so we come up with all kinds of explanations. Our Bible says that God was there before creation. There was something else that was there before creation that I find a little bit strange, but it makes sense. Eventually, before creation, there was darkness. When God created the world, it, it seems weird, but he, it's almost like he intentionally put darkness out there. It says the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then God said, let there be light, let there be plants, let there be animals, let there be, you know, dogs with sweaters and like all kinds of, you know, elephants and giraffes. And, and, and this God's word began to create order out of chaos. And why did God do it this way? To show us that in the same way our lives are formless and without in our void and are dark before the word of God comes into our life. The word of God creates life. The word of God creates. Sin decreates. The same is true in your life. Sin has unraveled our lives. Sin has unraveled our marriages. Sin has unraveled our Finances, sin has unraveled our finances, puts us in bondage, puts us in addictions. But here's the good news. The word of God will one day come and destroy all the works of sin. And we got Jesus who entered creation 2,000 years ago. Check out what John 1 says. It says that in the beginning was the word, that is Jesus. Jesus was at the beginning of creation. He was the architect. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So Jesus, the word, is going to re-enter this dark world, this sin-filled, chaotic-filled world, and he's going to bring life again. And so if you read through the New Testament, his life, you know, we'll get there next fall if you're on that Bible reading plan. 
If you read through that, everything he did was entering the darkness, was entering chaos, and bringing light and life. So he heals diseases. He opens blind eyes. He makes the lame walk. He causes the dead to rise again, overcoming the chaos in creation. Wherever sin had left a dark void, Jesus came in and said, let there be light. He forgave adulterers and thieves. He removed their shame and he transformed their lives. These thieves became radically generous. These adulterers became pillars of virtue and character. But then at the end of his life, something very strange happens to Jesus. He is put back into darkness and chaos. On the cross when he died, the earth shook and the midnight darkness filled the sky. The spirit hovering over Jesus was no longer hovering over him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the father took his eyes off of him. It says that he, the father's face turned away. And the greatest mystery in the universe is not how the world began. It's not DNA. It's not quantum physics. The greatest mystery is that Jesus Christ, the architect of the universe, the word of God was put into the darkness and the void of sin so that we who rejected him could have the light in life shine again. Jesus allowed himself to be decreated on the cross so that we could be recreated in the resurrection. This may seem like a detail to you, but like if you read through John's gospel, you'll notice that Jesus died on the sixth day. And if you read the Genesis account, you'll notice that man was created on the sixth day. As if Jesus is saying, I am ending the curse of humanity in my death on this day. And then it wasn't until the next week, the first day of the next week, he says, I am starting all over again. And in his resurrection, he brought new life. And then something strange happened that sometimes you may think is just some weird Hebrew custom. Well, they, we don't do it now, and they didn't do it then. He, he breathed on them imparted his Holy Spirit, brought life into them, and he wants to do the same thing in your life. He wants to speak into your darkness. He wants to speak into your void. He wants to speak into your chaos, life, and order. Where's your life destroyed by sin? Maybe you have an addiction. Maybe your family is unraveling. Maybe your self-image is distorted. If you turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ, he will make all things new. Now, the external thing, you know, your broken finances, your broken marriage, you may wake up tomorrow and those may still be there. But the darkness inside of you instantly becomes light. And he begins this inside-out work in you to bring renewal to your life. Now, I want to conclude with this thought, the implications of the creation for all of us. There are some here who are highly skeptical of creation, but there are some in here who believe that some of us may just have a mental assent to what the implications are. It's like, yeah, okay, I, you know, I, I, you know, I'll check that God, I'll check the box that God created. But what does that actually mean for our lives? Well, if you read through Genesis one, the, the most common verb that you'll see is the word created. It comes up twelve different times, and what this means is us being image bearers of God, us being created in His image. There's a sense, there's a very real sense to where we are co-creators with God. See, God made the world good. He, he created plants. Those are good. Animals are good. The, he made things good, but he did not make them perfect. He gave Adam and Eve the raw material. He said, okay, now you go 
and subdue it. You go, and, and there's a work to be done. You go in the garden, and there's a work to be done. It says the same thing to you. I'm sending you out in my world to speak life into the chaos. As Christians, as bearers of the word of God, as bearers of the light of the life of men, wherever there is darkness, there should be a Christian there. Wherever there is darkness, there should be a Christian there cultivating life. Where there's oppression, where there's poverty, where there's racism, where there's pain and suffering, where the darkness is obvious, Christians should be, but they should also be in the places where darkness isn't as obvious. In fact, it's more insidious. In our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, where it's pretty on the outside, in our pretty jobs, in our pretty houses, in our pretty vacations, in our pretty cars, but there's violence and darkness and pain, and nobody knows why. You and I are commissioned to go tell them why. That in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was God. And he took this lifeless, dark void, and he brought life with his word. And in your darkness, in your pain, in your suffering, he wants to bring the word of Jesus into your life. Here's what he did in me. You have been commissioned as a co-laborer, as a co-creator, to begin to speak life where there's darkness. Why don't we stand?